from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and for making us part of your day. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, yesterday, former President Donald Trump asked the Supreme Court to weigh in on the rogue decision by officials in Colorado to remove him from the ballot in that state. Colorado officials have cited Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which prohibits those who have engaged in insurrection from holding office as the justification for their actions. You can't call someone an insurrectionist that never did an insurrection, that's never been guilty of an insurrection. It's un-American, it's ridiculous, and it's frankly election interference at its finest. They're just desperate, Martha, you know that. That was Alina Haba, a member of President Trump's legal team, yesterday on Fox News. The left's latest tactic is not confined to the former president. It's also being used in Pennsylvania in an effort to remove Congressman Scott Perry from the ballot. Is this a sign of the less desperation? If so, it shows something that's very dangerous. We'll get more from Samantha Dravis, former general counsel of the Republican Attorneys General Association, in just a moment. And yesterday, we spoke to Alderman and medical doctor, Dr. Tim Durkee from Rockford, Illinois, about the potential health implications of the flood of illegals crossing the southern border. Rather than focus on the lawlessness at the border, many public health officials are lamenting waivers and exemptions that have been granted to American citizens to opt their children out of various vaccinations. You see, more and more parents are opting their children out of vaccines. The public health czars don't seem to care about asking why they're doing that. They simply want to shut the door on parental rights. But could this be yet more fallout from the government's failed approach to COVID-19 pandemic? The American public is losing trust in the healthcare community and the government. We're going to talk with Dr. Robert Malone, Chief Medical and Regulatory Officer for the Unity Project. And speaking of the COVID pandemic, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost is warning that the Biden administration is increasingly using this language, all of government response. And they're using that to pursue their priorities and they're ignoring the law and the limits on their power. So how can this be stopped? We're going to talk about that with General Yost later on Washington Watch. And uh, you'll love this. This afternoon, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced that he was suing 17 bus companies that have been transporting illegal migrants to his sanctuary city. Today, our administration filed a lawsuit against 17 companies that have taken part in Texas Governor Greg Abbott's scheme to transport tens of thousands of migrants to New York City in an attempt to overwhelm our social services system. Why not go to the source of the problem? the Biden administration and their policies at the southern border. Well, speaking of the southern border, House Republicans were on that border yesterday, seeing firsthand the chaos that the Biden policies have created. And we're going to be joined later by the House Speaker, Mike Johnson, here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, well, it's right there. In fact, point your neighbors and your friends to TonyPerkins.com. All of our programs are archived there at the website. Our word for today comes from Genesis 11. It's the account of the Tower of Babel. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. You might say, what's wrong with building a city? Well, it was designed to counter the command of God to disperse. They wanted a centralized government to rule over all the people. God's design is decentralized because of the corrupting nature of power. Notice the outcome. When man rallies against God and his plans, God takes note and he comes down. To join us on our journey through the Bible, visit frc.org slash Bible. By the way, this week we launched a new two-year journey through the Bible with the Family Research Council Stand on the Word reading plan. I encourage you to join us. In fact, you can get the downloadable reading plan for free at frc.org slash Bible.
Well, as I mentioned yesterday, attorneys representing representing former President Donald Trump requested that the U.S. Supreme Court overturn the recent court decision to remove him from the state's Republican primary ballot. The left's use of lawfare to target candidates they fear at the ballot box isn't limited to the former president. Earlier this week, a Pennsylvania activist filed a lawsuit aiming to bar Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry from running for a seventh term to Congress, claiming he engaged in insurrection by challenging the 2020 election results. Question is, was our republic designed to withstand these types of lawfare tactics that the left is now engaged in? Joining me now to discuss this is Samantha Dravis. She's the former general counsel of the Republican Attorneys General Association, is now the principal of Axe Advocacy. Samantha, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's great to be here. So let me you've been involved in 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 in, in these issues and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but neither Congressman Perry uh, nor the president have been charged or convicted with crimes. Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, if you want to talk about the 14th Amendment, there's another provision of the 14th Amendment called the Due Process Clause. And President Trump and Congressman Perry are absolutely being denied due process when you unilaterally have a rogue partisan official removing them from the ballot without having even been so much as charged or convicted for the crime of insurrection using a 155-year-old provision that was written after the Civil War and was meant to address an actual insurrection um, in which people actually took up arms against the United States. So these are very thin, patently absurd legal theories. And, Tony, I think we're in very dangerous, uncharted territory. You know, the Democrats have decided that they'll use any means necessary to stop President Trump from beating Joe Biden. They're seeing that Joe Biden has historically low approval numbers, and they're willing to misinterpret our own U.S. Constitution, erode the rule of law, which is one of the bedrock principles of our democracy, and weaponize and abuse the justice system. And so was our was our democracy built to withstand that? I guess we'll see, um, because we are in completely uncharted territory here. That's my concern, Samantha. I mean, look, first off, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to accept their terminology. I do not think what happened at the Capitol on January the 6th was an insurrection. I think it was a it was a lawless act. It was a riot. I, I'm against it. I spoke out about it right after it happened. I think it was foolish for people to go there and do what they did, those who broke the law. But it was not an insurrection. You don't have an insurrection with signs and and placards. That's not how you do it. Um, but then secondly, my understanding of the Constitution requires that if you have committed this crime of insurrection, you, you, you have to have been convicted of it. And neither of these individuals have been convicted of that crime. In fact, the president... Yeah, he was impeached, but he was acquitted of that. Well, that's exactly right. So, Congress, there is a specific statute, 28 U.S.C. 2383, that deals with the crime of insurrection. And neither President Trump nor Congressman Perry have been charged, let alone convicted under that statute. But this is one of the key um, legal arguments that President Trump's legal team and as well as the Colorado Republican Party are arguing in their petition for a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court is that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment um, has to have an enforcement mechanism and that that enforcement mechanism can only come from Congress alone. It's not coming from, you know, it's not whoever a random Colorado Secretary of State or Maine Secretary of State interpreting that, that Congress has to specifically lay out um, you know what they what they mean when they say who should be disqualified, and so that that will be one of the key legal arguments that I expect the Supreme Court will take up. You've got something like 15 states that are considering removing President Trump from the ballot, and so this is a key constitutional question that I hope the court will weigh in on very quickly. Yeah, I, I think you're right because I I do think that if other states follow suit that you're going to see a tit for tat. I think you're going to see Republican officials are going to look at, you know, you've got a Biden administration that's not enforcing the law at the southern border. Uh, they could act on their own, just as Colorado has acted on its own. So let's talk a little bit, Samantha, about the Supreme Court, the president, uh, his legal team appealing to the Supreme Court yesterday. What do you think the time frame may be on this and how would this play out? 
Right. So um, President Trump's appeal, I believe that was yesterday. And so the under the writ of certiorari, the other side, so the Colorado um, Secretary of State, State of Colorado, will have 30 days to respond to that petition and to argue to the court that they should or should not grant this grant cert. Um, so they'll have 30 days to do that. The court meets every Friday that they are in session and they discuss the pending uh, cases before them. And it takes four of the nine justices to grant cert. So again, I mean, I, I think I heard uh, Mike Davis say it recently. He wants the court to put on their big boy pants and do this expeditiously and swiftly. You know, they don't have to grant cert, but I expect that given what an important constitutional question this is, as well as the high number of states that are considering this and the fact that you may have a patchwork, that they will take it up and hopefully do so swiftly. Now, both Colorado and Maine sort of tried to, to play a little trick, which is they said, we're going to stay this decision until this appeal can be heard. And I believe that was meant to send a signal to the Supreme Court to say, well, you know, judicial relief isn't needed right away. Don't worry. His name's not going to technically be removed um, until the appeal can be heard. But I, you know, I think that that's just all playing politics because as we talked about from the beginning, the erosion of the principles of the rule of law here, uh, the damage has already been done on that front. Correct. I, I believe you're absolutely right. And, but we're, we're working with a very narrow window because you know you you've got states. I mean, we're just a couple of weeks away from Iowa's caucus, and then we start rolling in March. We've got a lot of states that have their primary, so there's not a lot of time for the Supreme Court to to move on this. If they're going to step in, it's going to have to be pretty soon. That's right, um, and I do expect again. I, I expect that they will. Um, you know, we'll see if um, the state of Colorado responds to the petition. Now, uh, one of the other factors here is that if uh, President Trump's name ends up being removed from the ballot in this process before the court could hear this case, there is an option for these state parties to decide they want to move to a caucus system. Right. Um, that remains to be seen if that plays out. But for now, you know, both of these states have said, well, his name is technically still going to be on the ballot until the court can hear this case. Now, that works for the primaries, but it would be a different issue come the general election. Uh, the parties uh, do not have as much flexibility on how they handle the general election because that's uh, usually state legislatures. Well, that's correct. And that's why this is so important. And it's really important that we get this sort of resolved quickly because the denial of the right of the American people to be the ones to elect their representatives and their uh, president. You know, we've got millions and millions of people in Colorado alone who voted for President Trump, and right. they should be the ones to decide who will represent them. They know what's best for them, and so that right belongs to them, not to these partisan officials who are just really afraid of, uh, frankly, Trump beating Biden. Samantha, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, appreciate your insights, and I would agree with you. I think this is very dangerous. Uh, I'm, I, I think our republic could, could withstand this, but the problem is it's weakened by it. And it's kind of like once you go down this path, there's, there's no going back. Samantha, thanks so much. Great to see you. All right, when we come back, the... Uh, the health czars of the country, not too concerned about what's happening at the border uh, in terms of the health crisis there, but parents opting their kids out of vaccines. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. 
Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on this Thursday. According to a recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report, 2023 saw the highest number of vaccination waivers among kindergartners ever recorded, with 3% of these students receiving waivers. While the legacy media rushes to connect this statistics to misinformation, could there be something else behind this? Did the federal government's handling of COVID and the Biden administration's overreach with shot mandates, even for healthy young people with no comorbidities, facilitate a distrust of Americans toward vaccines, toward the medical community, and toward government. With me now to talk about this is Dr. Robert Malone, Chief Medical and Regulatory Officer for the Unity Project and an internationally recognized physician scientist who has specialized in advanced development of medical countermeasures to infectious diseases. Dr. Malone, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Tony, and uh, talking about these important topics. Well, let me get your reaction to this, to to this rise in vaccine waivers. And, of course, the media going crazy about this. Uh, It's all about misinformation. But isn't this more fallout from the government's failed approach to the pandemic? Precisely. I think you have this exactly right in terms of your analysis. And I hate to say I told you so, but this was what I predicted about three years ago would be as a consequence of the federal policies and the heavy handed actions, as you say, overreach. Um, There's such things like the redefining of what is a uh, anti-vaxxer as anybody who is not okay with vaccine mandates, which almost immediately defined a large fraction of the population as anti-vaxxers. This uh, overreach, as you say, has created not just a wariness of federal government policies and messaging, but a re-examination of the whole pediatric vaccine schedule. And uh, it's rare now that I run into somebody, a a young parent, who isn't talking about extending the schedule and which of these jabs can we drop. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm leery of anything the government tells me now after now (laughs) looking at post, I'm actually looking at the facts. It looks like the medical community associated with the government is not doing this, but I'm looking at all the studies saying how wrong they were in their approach. And, and like you, I questioned it uh, at, the, at the beginning. But now, we're, we, we, yesterday we were talking on the program, and I, I said this when I was setting up this uh, segment, we had a uh, alderman who's also a uh, medical doctor from uh, Illinois on the program, on the suburbs, 
talking about the immigrants coming into the country, being bussed up there, and the concern about those coming across the border that have no vaccinations, they're carrying infectious diseases, and, and the government's letting them in, not saying anything about it. I mean, are we not potentially setting up a perfect storm for another health crisis by making people leery of vaccinations, trustworthy, shaking, shaking their trust in the government, and then bringing people in who could be carrying deadly diseases? Well, a lot of the tropical diseases that are potentially coming in with these folks that are coming from Latin and Central America are not uh, on the current vaccine schedule. One of the major potential risks is yellow fever. Because we do have the appropriate mosquitoes throughout much of the United States that can transmit yellow fever, but what they don't have is infected people to bite and then spread to others. And we don't have yellow fever vaccine, thank God, on the standard schedule because it's a rather nasty piece of work. Uh, but it's deeper than that, Tony. We're, we're talking about a potential distributed, because remember these people are being shipped all over the United States by the airlines and others. We're talking about distributed reach of sexually transmitted diseases, uh, um, variants of salmonella that are pathogenic, you know, we're all familiar with the risks of diarrhea in using water from Latin America. Fortunately, we have good water systems, good sanitation throughout most of the United States, but we're absolutely creating risk for uh, tropical diseases. And now this is being spun as a issue associated with, quote, climate change, when really what it is is a consequence of uh, federal and really executive branch policies. Now, I, I, I know the answer to this question that I'm going to ask you, Dr. Malone, but why are these public health czars not talking about that threat as opposed to wanting? To, and I know where they're going with this concern about uh, parents opting their children out of vaccinations. They want to take away those parents' rights and they want to force them, uh, their children, to get these vaccines. Why aren't they focusing on that threat on the southern border? Well, Tony, well put. And what it reveals is the subterfuge or really fraud that's going on here politically when there's a focus on irrelevant threats or modest threats and a complete lack of, of focus or addressing clear and present dangers. And that's what we're facing in so many different dimensions with this flood of 3.2 million immigrants at a minimum across the border during 2023 is a major infectious disease threat in addition to the threats to our social system, infrastructure, jobs, et cetera. Dr. Malone, um, I mean, I, I think we have to be able to trust our government. I mean, I think it's important for the whole system to work. I don't trust my government right now with what I've seen, but I, I, I want to ask you this, can trust in these important institutions be restored? And if so, how? So uh, there is a school of thought that we just need to burn the whole system down. I'm not of that school. I think, as you say, we do need uh, a limited government, a small government. We don't need a, a bloated bureaucracy and administrative state. And we do, as you point out, need to rebuild public trust. And I think the only way this is going to happen is through accountability. There are individuals who are responsible for what's happened over the last three years, and they have not been held accountable, just like they weren't held accountable in the case of a lot of the atrocities associated with the uh, Gulf War and the torture that happened there. There was a decision not to prosecute those people. And in this case, the usual DC attitude of you can never hold the administrative state accountable for their actions needs to be broken. These people need to be ferreted out. We know who many of the names are, and they do need to be brought to court and held accountable for their actions. I, I would agree. And not just in this area, but there's several areas that needs to happen. Great. Dr. Malone, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right. Dr. Robert Malone. All right. After the break, what is the whole of government approach that the Biden administration keeps using? That phrase. It's a dangerous phrase. And we're actually going to talk about it with the Attorney General of Ohio. Dave Yost joins me next to talk about it. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead.
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources there for you. Action items. You need to be involved. As I've said before, our republic was not made for spectators. It's made for participants. Well, as we've uh, seen throughout the Biden administration, there we've got the mishandling of the southern border. And, you know, we see this repeatedly. The left will ignore the law to orchestrate their desired political outcomes. And, and this applies to, to more than just uh, public health policy in the border. I mean, since taking power, the Biden administration has adopted what they call a whole-of-government approach to certain issues, leading federal agencies to impose regulations beyond their authority. And, of course, they have to be challenged in the courts. Now, we saw this when the Department of Education threatened to withhold school lunch money from poor students attending Christian schools. We saw that when the Federal Highway Administration finalized a rule requiring states to create benchmarks for greenhouse gas reduction. I mean, how can this federal executive overreach be reined in? Well, join me now to discuss this is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. General Yost, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's good to see you. Well, good to see you as well. And, and you've been on the front lines of this. We've talked about this before, how the attorneys generals of, of the states have really been taking on the federal government under the Biden administration with this whole of government approach where they're overstepping their bounds. But they're doing it regardless of what the law says. How do we stop this? Well, we have to rely on the genius of the founders, the separation of powers, uh, the courts and Congress both have the ability to rein in an overreaching executive. Congress hasn't been too interested in doing that of late. Uh, but fortunately, in a lot of places, courts are doing their jobs as attorneys general are going to court and challenging uh, these things. Let's talk about um, some of these Specific, some of these abuses. Now, one that you were quite involved in, and we were just talking earlier in the program about what's been happening at our southern border and what's been happening with um, diseases that are coming in and how COVID-19, they overreached and, and how we're, we're really kind of almost setting the stage for another massive government overreach. You've addressed these in the past, but it seems like even in some cases they ignore what the courts say. Well, it's true. And one of the things uh, people ought to pay attention to is the phrase whole of government. 
you're starting to hear this from bureaucrats and politicians in Washington over and over again. That should be a red flag for you. When you hear whole of government, what that means, it's kind of a code that they're going to use agencies that have absolutely nothing to do with the thing at hand to try to accomplish something that they don't have authority to do. For example, the SEC, uh, the Securities Exchange Commission, it's out there to regulate the stock markets and stock trading and commodities trading. Um, and they publish rules and, and it's a regulatory agency, pretty dry and dusty. Well, under the whole of government approach, the Biden administration is using them to try to enter into fossil fuels and energy policy and climate change. Uh, what does the SEC and stock markets have to do with whether we drive electric cars or not, or fossil fuel development, uh, hydrocarbon development? That's an example. Another one, and we won this in the Supreme Court, they tried to get OSHA involved in the COVID wars. Mm -hmm. uh, OSHA is all about, let's have guardrails around the, the catwalks. Let's make sure that there's safety features around the vats of acid so that workers don't get hurt. They tried to use that department and that authority to make sure that every employee of a company that had more than 100 employees, which is over 80 million Americans, had to have the vaccine, had to take the jab if they wanted the government's permission to work. The Supreme Court knocked it down and said, that doesn't work, but it's that whole of government mindset where they try to take every bureaucratic alphabet soup agency to do something it was never designed to do. So, so General, they know going into this that most of what they're doing is it's beyond the limit of uh, beyond the scope of their authority. But they know that it's going to take months, maybe years for the courts to decide some of these things. So they go anyway and they do it. Congress, as you said, number one, it's split. You got the Democrats controlling the, the Senate, the Republicans barely having control of the House. This really puts a spotlight on the role of attorney uh, of the attorney general of states all across this nation as being on the front lines of what now has become a legal battle to uphold the law. And that's why it's so important to keep a, a watch on Washington. Uh, and we have to realize we're in a battle. Uh, this is not a civil debate, a schoolhouse rock kind of civics lesson here. Uh, these folks don't care about the norms. They don't care about the rules or the rule of law. We are in a pitched battle and we need everybody to help. Well, we've got to be informed. We've got to be voting. We've got to be engaged, making sure that we have those that respect the rule of law because our system doesn't work without that. Attorney General Yost, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always great to see you and, uh, and keep up the great work in the Buckeye State. Have a great new year. All right. Attorney General Yost in Ohio. In fact, uh, you know, he's been a supporter of HB 68. That's the bill we've been talking about all week that the governor vetoed that would protect children from these experimental surgeries. So he's been very helpful on that in the state. All right. There's more Washington Watch. On the other side of this break, so don't go away. We're coming back with more of today's edition of Washington Watch in just a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. This is Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right, I'm going to leave the poll question open one more day. And if you didn't participate in our poll question, it's our weekly worldview question. You can do so, and we'll have the results for you tomorrow. And here it is. You can text the word POLL, that's P-O-L-L, to 67742 to participate. And here's the question. When it comes to the formation of your worldview, of the way you see things around you, how influential is the Bible? All right. Give us, uh, give us your thoughts. Text the word poll to 67742. All right, on his, on his uh, border visit yesterday, House Speaker Mike Johnson affirmed that Republicans remain resolved in their top two priorities. Number one, securing the border. And number two, controlling non-defense discretionary spending. Now, both priorities are going to be tested in the coming weeks as funding for the federal government expires and negotiations continue over border security and funding for Ukraine's war effort. Now, the backdrop to all of this is record-setting numbers of migrants illegally coming into the United States across the southern border. 302,000 in the month of December alone, the highest ever. Now, as Speaker Johnson pointed out yesterday, while he and over 60 of his House colleagues were on the border, the problem is so massive and affecting so many states and communities that every state is now a border state. Joining me now to discuss the situation and more on the border and how Republicans might force order into the chaos is Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana. Speaker Johnson, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Great to be with you, as always. All right. Uh, so, Mike, tell us about yesterday's border visit. What did you see? Anything new that uh, came to the forefront of your observations? Well, I'll tell you, it was an eye-opener. I mean, we've been uh, acutely aware of the catastrophe at the border, of course, for the last three years, the Biden administration. I I came off the House Judiciary Committee that has partial oversight uh, over the the crisis. And, um, you know, we've been highlighting this to the American people. But it it really does make a difference to be there in person, on the ground, talking with the stakeholders, the the, uh, patriotic, heroic Border Patrol officers and the sheriffs who are 
charged with keeping order down there. And there is no order, Tony. The, the border is completely open. This is my third trip to the border, but it was the largest congressional delegation that's ever made the trip. Sixty-four House Republicans were there representing 26 states and one U.S. territory. Uh, and what we saw was so alarming that it would just break the hearts of every American and it would infuriate them as well. I mean, I'm watching, I'm actually watching B-roll of your trip down there, and we see people right in front of your delegation walking across the water. Oh, yeah, waving at us and, and shouting the names of their countries. They're Venezuela, you know, and, and China and wherever else. They're coming from 170 countries around the globe because the Biden administration has laid out the welcome mat, and they sent the, the message that's loud and clear to everyone, everywhere. Come on in. There's no... There is no border. We don't have one. The Border Patrol agents have been converted into to processing agents. They are literally operating processing centers, which, by the way, cost American taxpayers $1 million a day, not including the salaries of all the personnel there, to process illegals, bring them into the country, uh, clean them up, give them clothing, and, and, uh, and then all the resources they need. I mean, we're spending billions and billions of taxpayer dollars on the health care and the education and the housing and the recreation of people who are just flowing into our country illegally. Well, Not to mention, Tony, all the human trafficking that's involved, all the fentanyl that's poisoning our streets of every city in America and all the other societal ills that falls from it. This must stop. Yeah, my, my daughter has been on the, uh, the police force just uh, a month and already two fentanyl overdoses that she's uh, dealt with, deaths related to that. Uh, let, let, me, let me play a clip from Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas today on CBS. Uh, play clip number one. Everyone agrees that the system is broken. And what we are doing is enforcing our laws. We are enforcing Mr. our Secretary. laws, the criminal laws, our immigration laws, and that includes our asylum laws. They're enforcing the law. How come there's chaos? I, I want to be charitable in how I respond to this, Tony, but that man is lying to the American people. He's done it repeatedly under oath. It, it is so frustrating to us that the Secretary of Homeland Security, who helped engineer this catastrophe, is just blatantly saying things that are clearly demonstrably untrue. From the very first day that President Biden took uh, his, his uh, occupation of the Oval Office, he started issuing executive orders. The very uh, Among the very first things he did when he walked into the office three years ago is that he reversed the Remain in Mexico policy that had worked so well under the Trump administration right. to, to stem the flow of illegals. He, he, they reinstituted catch and release. They, they have abused the asylum and parole system. They've broken them completely. And that's why we have no system at all. Tony, the numbers are staggering. They, by, by Secretary Mayorkas' own count, We've had over 7 million illegal encounters at the border since they took office. Now, we know the number is probably twice that high that have actually come through. But 1.7 million known gotaways have evaded capture at the border, entered the country. We know that number is, is a, it, it's actually a countless number because the border is not even being monitored in most places right now. We have at least 312 suspects on the terrorism watch list that were encountered at the border. Now, how many evaded capture and uh, and, 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 and got in without being known or seen. I mean, they're, they're, they're setting up terrorist cells around the country. People are coming across the border in full military fatigue from adversarial nations. It's absolutely out of control. And Mayorkas and, and President Biden are personally responsible for it. Well, let me ask you about that, because next week, the Homeland Security Committee in the House is going to move forward with impeachment proceedings on Mayorkas. Where do you see that going? We haven't impeached a cabinet secretary since the uh, late 1800s, but desperate times call for desperate measures. I have been convinced that uh, Mayorkas uh, was in, uh, committing impeachable a long, long time. I mean, he appeared uh, a couple of times before my committee in the House Judiciary and just raised his hand, took the oath, and told us things that he knew when he was saying it were not true. Um, I, I think they have uh, engineered this chaos. I think these are deliberate policy choices that have uh, created this this catastrophe. And, and by the way, among the other uh, ills that have been wrought on our society from this, remember that we are enriching these transnational criminal organizations every single day. The cartels are making billions and billions of dollars. They told us on the border in the Del Rio sector alone yesterday, the cartels said they're, they, they think the cartels are making $32 million a week 
on human trafficking, trafficking people into our country. Do the math. That's $1.6 billion annually to, in, in just one sector of the border to, to criminal, violent criminal cartels. It is unconscionable that the White House would go along with this, but they are empowering it with their policies. Well, Speaker Johnson, the, the Biden administration, uh, which, by the way, on Friday we reached a new record of national debt, $34 trillion. They're blaming their inability to secure the border on the House Republicans cutting funding. And I want to play a clip. that This was this afternoon from the White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, earlier today, clip nine. House Republicans decided to vote on a bill that would cut 2,000 Border Patrol agents at the border. That's what they did. That's what they did. And they continue to obstruct and get in the way of trying to, of the president wanting to move forward with a supplemental that includes border security. Your response, Mr. Speaker. More madness from the White House. Of course, they, they will take an objective fact and turn it on its head. What the president is proposing is he wants millions and millions and millions of additional dollars, billions if he can get them, to process more illegals. They don't want the border to be patrolled. They don't want to stem the flow of illegals into our country. They want to send more of them and distribute them around the nation. That's what his proposal is for. We're not going to do that. We, we were with uh, at dinner on Tuesday night. The deputy chief of the U.S. Border Patrol uh, spoke very candidly before all the House Republicans. We were assembled there for a meal, and he said, I feel very much – let me give you an analogy. I feel very much as though I am – uh, my job is to, to man an open fire hydrant. And he said, I don't need more buckets. I need them to turn the flow off. That's what we are aiming to do. And by the way, Tony, this could be done with a stroke of a pen. The president doesn't need new legislation to do this. He has every existing authority under federal law. He can make a decision right now, for example, to reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy. They estimate that the, the officials, the sheriffs, the Border Patrol on the ground there, Say that would stem the flow of illegals into our country by probably 70 percent overnight because it would send a message around the right. world that you're not welcome to come in and you have to stay in Mexico while your case is well, adjudicated. I, that been, alone would do it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I was I've been to the border twice during the Trump administration, one before they put the remain in Mexico policy in place. And it was it was chaotic. I went back after that policy was in place and it looked like a ghost town. It, 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 it was right. no one coming across. It was working. The border was secure when the Biden administration came in to office. But let's talk now about how, how, how will you force an administration to do something they don't want to do? You said this is by design. This is cre they're creating this chaos with their policies. They're lying about it. So how will the Republicans with such a slim majority, how are you going to move forward with this? We, we have to use every ounce of leverage that we can muster. We have the power of the purse. The president wants all this supplemental spending to send money, treasures, uh, the precious uh, treasure of U.S. taxpayers around the world to secure other borders elsewhere and do all, this other, uh, all these other things. And we've said if you want a national security supplemental spending package, it begins at our own border. We must take care of our own house first. And so I believe the public pressure is mounting on the White House. I, I think they're going to have to acknowledge they need a change. I mean, look at the some of the most desperate pleas for change are the, the, the mayors and the governors of these deep blue states and cities, the sanctuary cities. They're being completely overrun uh, by illegals now. There was a, a Fox News poll from about a week ago found that eight in ten voters – think the situation at the southern border is either an emergency or a serious problem that should be addressed. I, I don't think they can turn a blind eye to this much longer, and we're going to continue to apply every degree of pressure that we can to do what the American people know what must, must be done. So you've got the supplemental funding for Ukraine that uh, the border issue has been attached to. What other must-pass pieces of legislation? I mean, we've got these appropriations bills. We're, 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 those are looming, and, and we're ending. We're coming up to the end of government funding. Is this going to factor into that discussion and whether or not the government continues to be funded? Well, we have uh, appropriation spending bills that we've been working to try to get through the process to get back to regular order. You know how all that's developed right. over the last uh, few months. Um, those those things are on the table, as well as the supplemental spending measures uh, for Ukraine and elsewhere. Um, it, it, in some sense, all of this really is uh, entangled together, because if we can't take care of our own safety, security, and sovereignty, it's very difficult for us to do 
much of anything right. else. But the first job of the federal government, and that is exactly what's at stake. This is not hyperbole. I, I could tell you all day long, Tony. We could take a whole hour to just. I could give you some some highlights of some of the things we saw at that border yesterday. But among the most startling statistics is that 60 to 70 percent of the people who are crossing that border are single adult males. Okay, they're between the ages of 20 and 40. They, these are not families in distress and widows who need asylum. These are young, able-bodied men coming from sometimes hostile foreign adversarial nations who are coming into our country to do you know, only the Lord knows what. And we, we saw many of them with our own eyes in these uh, you know, processing facilities yesterday. This is madness. It's madness. It, it must stop. It really is. It's insane to let people in that you don't know what their intentions are toward the country. And again, we we get lost in these numbers. The volume is so high. You said seven million. Well, just in the first quarter alone of this new fiscal year, it was seven hundred eighty-five thousand migrant encounters. That's according to the federal government. Largest uh, single quarter. Uh, total ever. That's the equivalent of the size of in population to San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Oklahoma City, Nashville. I mean, th- how are we absorbing these into the country? Well, that's a great question. I don't think that we are very well, and you're starting to see the results of that uh, on the streets of communities all across the country, which is why we've said, and you said at the outset of the program, every state is a border state now. On top of all that, on top of the security concern, just think about the humanitarian disaster that this is. Think about the unaccompanied minors who are trafficked across the border, sustaining only who knows what on the journey, right? Um, They're disappearing into our country. The, The administration admits that it's lost track of almost 100,000 unaccompanied minors after they were released somewhere into the country. They're being swept up into trafficking rings and all the rest. I mean, we looked into the eyes of young children unaccompanied in these little processing centers just yesterday. They, they don't have – there's no belonging. They don't even know their real identities. They, they literally put stickers on their chest. That they name them Jane Doe and John Doe because they don't even know who they are. Wow. I mean, the cartels are bringing these children across – they're dropping them into the razor wire entanglement so that the Border Patrol agents have to run to rescue the, the infants and young children, cut the razor wire, and leave a gaping hole for them to get through in places they weren't before. I mean, these are, these are, this, this is, the disaster is just magnified over and over and over, and it's difficult to articulate how terrible and disastrous this is for all. How in the world could that be defined as compassionate, having compassionate policies that lead to that type of exploitation, abuse uh, to individuals, especially women and children? How could anybody in good conscience in any position of authority understand that that's happening and turn the other way? I, these are these are unanswerable questions right now, Tony, and that's why we're demanding action from the White House. This is not who we are as a country. We're, we stand for the rule of law, and certainly we stand for the humanity right. of all people who are made in God's image. And, and right now they're being trafficked and abused, and the White House seems not to care. House Speaker Mike Johnson, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for uh, joining us today, giving us an update on your trip to the border. And obviously we're going to be watching this very closely and uh, carefully as it moves forward in your efforts to address the border issue. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. All right. House Speaker Mike Johnson. All right. We will be tracking this very closely and we will have action items for you. So stick around. With that, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.